Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about Peanuts, Charles Schultz, and all things Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy too. So sit back and enjoy. Blockhead listeners, welcome to a new episode. Today we've got Tim Jones, the cartoonist behind the self-syndicated comic strip Sour Grapes, which can be found in weekly and monthly newspapers all around these United States. And if you are very lucky, Sour Grapes is appearing in a paper somewhere near you at this very moment. Tim is here today to talk about Sour Grapes, to tell us the story behind the comic and how it developed, the characters and how they get along with one another, and to fill us in on uh, how he became self-syndicated, how he approached a bunch of newspapers and in this, this digital era and found his way into print. But before we do that, I'm just going to take a few minutes and use my podcast as a personal therapy session, if you don't mind, just for a few minutes. This is Small Potatoes, no big deal. Uh, the story takes a little while to tell, but it's just about some personal frustrations. And uh, But it is cartooning related. It's about the frustrations of a cartoonist. And so I'm just going to relay some cartooning frustrations that I had over the weekend and uh, and make of it w- what you will because I'm sure it's it's I'm not alone in in frustrate being frustrated at some time so I wake up on Saturday morning and there to an email uh, and the email is from WordPress and from PayPal oh from PayPal you've been charged 324 bucks for renewing uh, your website spiking and I'm like what I didn't get any advanced notification. I didn't see that this was about to happen. And like, boom, you know, and I'm like 324 bucks, man, I can't do that right now. I mean, I just can't three, 324 bucks. I don't need this. Where did this come from? Is this real? So, you know, I go to my website, I go to the account, I check it out. Yeah, I've been charged 324 bucks. And I'm like, oh man, I can't do this. So I contact WordPress, we go through the whole thing, and they refund my money. They're very nice and very responsive. And at the the end of it, the discussion back and forth, uh, the guy on the other end says, hey, well, you know, uh, since you're not going to do the business plan, everything that you've put up on the business plan will be lost, you know, and you'll just go back to what you were. And I'm like thinking, okay, well, I don't remember spending this much money before. I don't think that I had a business plan. Well, anyway, so I say, okay. So what happens, of course, uh, I go to the website, spikingthelens.com, just to check. Everything's gone. Everything's gone. And it's reverted to one of those free sites. And it says, you know, welcome to the world, your first blog post. And, and that's it. That's all that's there. And, well, I, I was mildly upset. <laughs> Not terribly upset, but mildly upset. I was kind of shaken. I didn't think that I actually had. I don't remember spending this much money last year when I put the site up. I don't remember. You know, it's like, okay. But it happened. There's nothing left. It's all gone. All the stuff, all the images, everything, every comic I put up, it's all gone. All into the nether regions of the Internet. So I'm okay. I, I sit back and I start to think, well, is that a bad thing? 
Is that a good thing? I could renew it now and then rebuild the site. Uh, but maybe, maybe that's not something I should do. Because, well, to be honest, I'd had zero traffic on Spike in the Lens for forever now. You know, even when I was plugging it here on Blockhead, I wasn't getting much traffic. And the comics that I was putting up on Instagram weren't getting much traffic. And, well, you know, of course, not, nothing I ever put up on Instagram gets... I'm not one of those guys who gets much more than 50 likes, you know. If I get 50 likes, it's a big deal. <laughs> and uh, But I wasn't getting any pull to the website from it. So, you know... I start thinking is is maybe it's a good thing that it's gone and maybe I just let it lie, you know. But then I start to think, oh man, this was three years of my work, you know, three years of my life I spent developing this comic strip. I started in the summer of 2017, uh, working on spiking the lens, and I did so after I had been. Well, it's a story, you know, and the story is, uh, try to put it simply, I had been contacted by a. a comic strip syndicate, a comic syndicate, one of the big ones, not, not universal, you click, not go comics. It was the other one. And, uh, I, I got contacted, um, by an editor there who had liked my work and, uh, was interested in what I did and was interested in some of the characters I was working with, was not particularly interested in Jetpack Jr., but was interested in, in my stuff and maybe just focusing on the family around Jetpack Jr. And I wasn't happy with Jetpack and I hadn't been happy at Go Comics. You know, I, I didn't have, get much, well, I didn't get any kind of feedback and no, you know, you're just kind of put out there. And, and so I never got the feeling they cared much about what I was doing. It was just another thing that was up there. And, and I didn't get a feeling that the fans there liked the work. So, okay, you know, this was great. Okay, somebody else's, it was, you know, what it's like to be, to have somebody who uh, approaches you uh, in the in the profession and likes what you're doing, and it's exciting and a big syndicate. And I'm like, oh boy. So, you know, I start working on something, and the first thing I work on doesn't work out so well. So uh, we talk, the editor calls me back, and we have a discussion, and she suggests that I start doing another thing. And I said, well, I have this other idea. I started working on this animation a couple of years ago. I don't think that idea would be right for you because it's more of a, a concept and there's a story behind it. But maybe I could take two of the characters and develop it this way. And it could be a strip about an actress. And she says, sounds great. Why don't you send me some samples when you got some? So I start working on it. And I spent, you know, six months, not even that long, really, before I had a bunch of stuff. And I sent it off to her. And anyway, a dialogue ensues that goes on for about a year, year and a half or so. At the end of that time, I'm getting really close with the strip, and she likes it, and, and it's I'm really encouraged. Something's going to happen with this at this syndicate, and I don't know what, but I'm not in a development contract. There's no deal or anything, but anyway. So I'm, I'm pretty encouraged, though. And, well, what happens is the editor retires, and she says to me, but don't worry, you know, my, my uh, um, replacement is going to, you know, pick up right where I left off, and she's great, and, and you don't have anything to worry about. It's just going to continue apace, you know. Well, okay, long story short is the editor really didn't like my stuff. We never connected. There was, there was something wrong there right from the beginning. She didn't really want to deal with me. I think it was just, you know, this was 
the other person's person. You know, I want to find my own people. And uh, she was never interested in what I did. And although it wasn't an outright rejection, I never got that. I, it was just um, lack of what I would say is enthusiasm. And, but this went on for another year or so. And it really wasn't until this past December that she stopped answering emails. She never said, no, you know, not interested. We're not going to do anything. In fact, the opposite. There were all these encouraging signs. But anyway, finally came to the end. She stopped answering my emails. So there I am left hanging. And I'm like, okay, but that's all right. We live in the world now where it's cool, you know, to go out on your own. And maybe this is, you know, the right thing to do because that's the way of the world, right? Is put up your website, build traffic and, you know, social media and whatnot. And you can do it on your own because that's what everybody's doing. So I go to do that and, you know, I'm working on the website and I'm doing Instagram and all that kind of stuff. And nothing much is happening with the strip. And it's a difficult strip to write for a variety of reasons, um, but okay. But anyway, so I'm, you know, I'm hemming and hawing. I've got other ideas, but I've still got ideas about the strip that could go on and develop and it could become something else. Well, but what happens? <laughs> what happens is, you know, I don't renew the business plan and everything is gone. And so I'm left there this weekend with no website. And the question arises, and, it, you know, it bothered me more than I thought it was going to bother me. I didn't think it was going to bother me that much, but it nagged at me. As the day went on, it nagged at me more. This was three years. 2017, I started working on this. It was three years of my life, three years of my, my work. I was deeply invested the way, you know, I mean, if you're an artist, you get invested, right, in what you're doing. And you, you put everything into it. And this is three years of stuff. And all of a sudden it's gone. And yeah, I still have the files and I could renew and spend the money. Um, I could put it up on Webtoons or Tapas or something like that, reformat it all and go through that whole process. But the question is, okay, is it worth it? Uh, is it working? Is, is it, when do you cut your losses? When do you stop spending good money after bad? When do you come to the point where you acknowledge maybe there's problems here and something isn't working as well as it should? Is that the case? And I think one of the things that happens when you're deeply invested in something is that you can't see it. You're blind to it. And, you know, your friends and family... They want to encourage you. They don't want to come right out and say, you know, this is this is a piece of crap, man. <laughs> You're working on something that's not clicking. It's up to you, you know, as a cartoonist. It's up to me to kind of come to that realization. Hey, maybe maybe this maybe this is a good thing. Maybe I don't renew it. But you know, nagging in the back of your head is that idea of perseverance and that old story, right? That old warhorse about persevering because if you persevere, you'll succeed eventually. And, okay, is, what do I do? Maybe I need to persevere. Maybe I do need to spend the money. Maybe all I need to do to make it more popular is just keep working on it. And that's kind of where I am. And that's kind of where I came, you know, that, that, that's where my thoughts ended up on Saturday and Sunday and today. <laughs> you know, thinking about, okay, what do I do? And, okay, I'll tell you what I'm inclined to do. <clears throat> I need to drink a little something here. I'm inclined to let it go. And the reason I'm inclined to let it go is I think there were problems. 
and I think there were problems in an old white guy writing a. I think there were problems in an old guy writing a strip about three young women living in an apartment. I I have a deeply held belief though that you know you can get into characters and you can write them no matter who you are or what what your background is you know that if you invest yourself you can do that. But that being said, there were other you know and and there are a whole host of stories in my head, a whole host of of other stories and I loved some of the characters and I loved playing with it and the idea of movie sets and I loved telling stories about movies. I don't know why it fascinates me. But anyway, but maybe maybe this is a sign maybe maybe I should just put my energies elsewhere and and that's the question at what point do you realize that maybe my energy is better spent on other things and I'm at a point in my life where I have to consider that you know where's my time best spent what do I really want to do before you know uh, I can't hold a pen anymore what do I want to do before I, I I get to that point you know um, what do I want to leave behind and those are all the, you know, that's all the stuff I'm thinking about. And I guess maybe the, the, the conclusion I've come to is that, okay, I'm not going to renew it. I'm not going to spend the 300 bucks. I don't know if I'm going to do webtoons or tapas with it. Maybe, maybe not. It's a lot of energy to reformat it, and I spent a lot of time adding color to the strip when I had originally done it in black and white. That took me months to do. I'm reminded of the story of Richard Williams in, in The Thief and the Cobbler, uh, that great film that he spent a lifetime working on and uh, eventually walked away from. You know, And this isn't that. <laughs> this isn't on that level. But it's mine, you know, and it's my life and it's my work. And, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm left at this moment where I have to make a decision. And I think the decision, you know, as I've talked it through here, is, is, a, is a pretty good one. Um, I've got other projects in my mind, some that involve the same characters but in a different format. If you go to my website and you go to jeffgrogan.com, you go to my portfolio and you look at animation, you'll see a little clip there that says Bella Dilemma Trailer. And that tells you a little bit of what I think I might do with these characters. i got Bella and I've got Suds, the, the agent for Bella. And I've got a story there that I, I love telling in animation form. And maybe I'll do my own episode in animation. Maybe. I'm working on a film right now that I, is obsessing me. And, and if you go to my Instagram, you'll get an idea what it's about. It's fan film. It's a fan film, but it's, it's, it's something I'm excited about and I love doing, even if it never goes anyplace. So that's cool. Maybe it's time just to walk away and move on to something else. Uh, I got another strip going, although the animation has taken up so much of my time. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm not freaking out. I'm not, I'm frustrated because when you work that long on something, you have hopes for it and you get invested. And I think that's natural. But at a certain point, you have to step back and you have to look at it and you have to say... You have to make a, a determination. You have to make a realistic evaluation of what you've spent your time on. Acknowledge the good things that you got from it, the experience uh, that you got, the challenge of working on it, but also acknowledge maybe the failures. Acknowledge some of the difficulties. And 
make the best of it by moving on to something else. So I think that's where I'm at. And uh, so spikingthelens.com is gone. Uh, where it'll show up, if I put it up someplace, you can still read some of it on Instagram, but I don't know. Maybe I'll put it under a, a file on the jeffgrogan.com site. I, I, it's kind of hard to put comics up there, so I don't know if I will, but but that's where I'm at. So thanks for listening. I feel better. Uh, I hope I haven't, you know, uh, bored your ears off there. And um, so let's get to the uh, interview. And I'll tell you, as far as frustrations go, this is a pretty small one. Uh, as far as difficulties go, this is pretty small in the, in the you know, larger scheme of things. Uh, talking to Tim Jones and, and uh, the heart attack that he's just overcome, I'm telling you, man, that, that, that's, that's where it's at. That's, that's overcoming something. That's the big stuff. And uh, this is just small frustrations, but I feel better telling you about it. And uh, on to the next thing, okay? So, uh, okay, without further ado then, Tim Jones and myself in conversation. Enjoy. Hey there, Tim. Welcome to Blockhead. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How you doing? I'm uh, doing fine. Thanks. You're, you're doing fine. You are in Rhode Island right yeah. now? Are you in the middle of a snowstorm like we are here in New York? No, but it's blisteringly cold and windy. Oh, okay. The winter is... We haven't is... gotten any um, snow, visible snow anyways. Ah, okay. Well, are you expecting any? We're expecting like five inches today, I think. So. I, I thought I heard them say like one to three inches, but uh-huh. anything's New England, so anything can change. Yeah. We, we The other day I was I was recording the intro for my... Um, for a, an episode with Rick Stramoski and I was complaining <laughs> that I had bought snow tires and there was no snow. And of course what happens now, you know, is that it snows. So I'm, I'm, you know, not that I think I'm responsible, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but, but you know, uh, yeah, the entire County can blame me for, you know, complaining about not having snow for my snow tires. Now, now I'm going to have to go out and drive around in it just, just for, to get them broken in. But anyway, uh, here we are snowstorm and, uh, at least here in New York, it's a good day to be inside and talking comics with a fellow cartoonist. So Tim, you are, uh, the cartoonist behind sour grapes. That's right. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about sour grapes. The, 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 comic it's about a flying dog named Aesop right yeah Aesop is a miserable flying dog and uh, Sour Grapes is about him and his odd friends all living in a problematic world so we can all relate to uh, problems in our lives bad days frustrations and and foibles it's been around since uh, 20. 13 it's expanded since then and uh it's it's doing really well on its own so it started in 2013 did it start as a, a web comic initially i i introduced it on facebook and i also introduced it into uh, my local town newspaper so it had the best of both worlds when you started in 2013 it launched at the same time online and in a local newspaper and the newspaper was a weekly was it a daily was it the... it's it, it's a monthly and oh, it's a monthly okay and it has a sister paper as well mm-hmm. in the area um and that that newspaper is uh 
distributed all over Rhode Island, so which is kind of cool. But yeah, I wanted it to have two places to live. I wanted it in print and I wanted it online. And what was the reason for print? I mean, in this world, you know, where especially by the time 2013 rolled around, a lot of cartoonists are thinking solely about the web. And so uh, what was your impetus for seeking out print publication? Well, that was just it. I, you know, I I knew online was important because it's got an incredible audience. But in print, um, you know, I grew up with that. And, and, um, you know, reading the comics every every weekend and um, in the Sunday papers and such and even on the weekdays and um so i i wanted to i wanted to keep that um and preserve that that media in in a way that you know it's it's tangible to me and i and i think that's important in addition to you know me me growing up with that that type of thing I, i really wanted to uh to keep that going and preserve like I said, the uh, I guess I'll call it the old school way that we used to read the the comic strips. So you wanted the best of both worlds, and in part that that comes from this is what you grew up with. Like like myself, like a lot of old school guys, uh, it's not real until it's in print, right? You know, I mean, it's great that it's online, but until you actually have it in a in newsprint, somehow it's not of the tradition that we grew up with. With you know, Charles Schultz and Walt Kelly and, and, uh, you know, Buzz Sawyer and all of those great comic strips we grew up with. Yeah. And a lot of times what I do is I, you know, I'll see somebody and even people I don't know, I ask them where they live. And, um, you know, if they're in an an area where, where the strip is, you know, I'll tell them about it and, and then they'll say, Oh my God, I read that every week and stuff. And that's so cool that it's in there. And, you know, and that tells me that, you know, people are so used to nowadays seeing this cartoons online. And uh, so it's almost something special when uh, when they see it in a in a newspaper, I think, anyways. Um, you know, like I said, it, it's a it's a tangible thing. So it's almost like, you know, they, they be like, you know, I have my own copy per se. And who knows, maybe they'll cut it out and put it on their cubicle at work or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's true. That's that's something that people still do. And I know when I've done conventions in the past or in the rare times that I, I have people when you say, you know, I do a comic strip, people always say, oh, are you in the newspapers? And so they still sort of there's almost like still a knee jerk reaction and assumption that, that comic strips go to the newspapers. Right. And I, I think maybe um, they might see it as successful in in that yeah. you know not, not that it's rare but um you know I, I i'll be at shows in that and you know you know they'll see it and they'll see my books in that and you know oh, this is cool and then i have a a list of the newspapers that i'm in on the table you know and i'll tell them to you know it's in it's in multiple newspapers and all of a sudden they get the wide eyes and the raised eyebrows oh that's so cool you know and so it it has its it has its weight in that respect yeah uh, a certain kind of validity comes with that uh, even still even even today when you say you're in the newspaper or of one kind or another whether it's a weekly an alternative or something like that it still means something particularly to a certain generation uh, our generation more or less i think uh i know 20 somethings and and 
uh, millennials and, and kids, you know, even a little bit older than that, uh, it may not mean as much. Uh, they don't have that. I don't want to call it nostalgic connection, but the, that intrinsic connection, we grew up with it. It's, it was part of our lives for so long, but uh, it's not necessarily a part, uh, a part of the life of, of uh, younger folks. But still, to, to us, it still means something. And I share that, that idea that, you know, seeing it in print really is, is special and carries with it. You're part of that tradition. And it feels like it. And also, yeah, you're, you're right. You know, somebody could cut it out and put it on their fridge, whereas, you know, you can't do that with an Instagram post. So, so you know, it, it's got some benefits to it. So, so I, you know, I know when I was a kid, you know, we also did the, uh, this is showing my age now. I, we did the thing with the silly putty. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Put it on it and you could bring it up. I wonder if anybody's tried that with my... <laughs> Yeah, because it only works on a newspaper. You know, you can't do that on your computer screen. No, you can't do that. That, that, but you can take you know the image and distort it however you want to in a in an editing program. But still, yeah, that was fun. You know, taking silly putty and we used to do that all the time on Sundays. You know, take the the comics and play with silly putty and pick up a uh, an image in the silly putty and then stretch it. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, Boy, yeah. in those days, <laughs> it was primitive technology, primitive, primitive Photoshop. Yeah, it didn't silly. take much, did it? <laughs> no, it did. no, that's right. We, 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 we kept ourselves amused <laughs> with whatever, with sticks and stones and whatever was around. Yes, indeed. Well, my uh, brother we downstairs it. with a black eye. It was just a silly putty. Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah. Oh man, we sound like a couple of old guys now. That's for sure. So, uh, but so, uh, tell me about you know. Well, okay, a couple things come to mind. We're talking about newspapers, and and the wonderful thing about sour grapes is that it's self syndicated, and it's in like what thirty newspapers uh, across Rhode Island and elsewhere. Yeah, just, uh, just under that, it's in, it's in twenty eight right now. 28 newspapers in, and there are varying frequencies. Some of them are published weekly. Some of them are monthly. Some of them uh, bi-weekly, right? Is that the case? Yes. Yeah. So as long as we're talking about it, we might as well just, before we even talk about the comics, just talk about the business side. About uh, uh, You then have to supply all of the, it's self-syndicated. So you have to supply uh, the newspaper's with the material yourself it's you're not sending it to a syndicate and the syndicate sends it sends out the material to the newspapers you have to be in touch with those those papers on a regular basis yourself right i do the strip traditionally as far as drawing it in that i do bring it into photoshop where i do the lettering and and uh, coloring and fixing mistakes and that but in that i transform it into a jpeg and um that's what all the the uh, uh, all the newspapers get uh, via email, right? And then you have to send them a bill and an invoice or something uh, of that nature so that you can get paid. Yep, I yep. do the I do the business end of it too. So that'll yeah. be a whole different email in and of itself. <laughs> right. Okay. So so do you get paid like um, if it's a monthly? Do you get paid like on a biannual schedule or is it every month or how do you work that so, out? And it could get very complicated with 30 papers i had to kind of figure that out with everybody but normally it's either a, a monthly invoice or a yearly it's, oh okay it's 
And then with the monthlies, do you send them like a whole year's worth at once or do you send and do they publish one comic strip a month or do they do like three or or how does that work? You know, I have I have monthly deadlines, so I, I do one at a time. And the same with the weeklies, it, it's once a week. I mean, like I said, that could get complicated, the business part of it. I think, you know, self-syndicating is, is pretty difficult to do. How did you get started with, with that? And how did you approach the newspapers and find the newspapers to approach and, and all of that? Because it seems to me anyway, and I'm sure to a lot of folks, it's kind of a mystery. Well, like I said before, I, I started with the um my local newspaper, you know, I gave him a call and I said, you know, Hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Smithfield resident and it's, you know, it's a Smithfield paper. And I said, you know, I have a comic strip and you know, being a local artist, I'd love to be in my, in my town paper. And basically, uh, I, uh, you know, love it. If you, you know, uh, be interested in supporting a local guy, um, and uh, seeing what you think about it. And by the way, this was a phone call. When I contact newspapers, it's always a phone call. I don't, I don't send an initial email. So, because I, I think it's important to have a, a, a conversation, because that conversation can, can grow into, you know, other questions or information, and that or emails can get annoying back and forth. So th- there's a lot of information that can come out in a conversation, though, in one fell swoop so so i started there and then they have like i said it ha- they have a uh, a sister paper so it automatically went in there and that was great because that's all over rhode island so um that gave me some a staple to start out with and it was in there for a little while and then what i did was as i started contacting some other papers in rhode island and said hey you know listen this is this uh, strip is popular in my in my town. I've I've been in this paper for you know x amount of time and like to know if you you know be interested in uh, trying it in your newspaper. Send them some samples and I would always follow up. I wouldn't wait for them to get back to me. Uh, wait a week or two and you know I got lucky with that. They they saw it and they liked it and had a home for it and they they thought it was a a good addition to their paper and a guy from Rhode Island and before you know it I got a little bit of a train going as I started getting into more newspapers so for instance now you're in a a couple three newspapers and you contact another and say hey listen you know I'm in these newspapers and it shows some success uh would you like it in your paper and so now they know you're not a uh, table napkin drawer you know you're you're professional and it it looks great and stuff and You've shown that um, you can meet deadlines in that because I'm sure some papers have had people that really can't keep up or they are, you know, maybe they're not as responsible or dedicated and they'll, you know, miss deadlines in that, which is tough for a paper because they've they've allocated a space for you. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you miss that deadline, then now they have to rearrange the page. And I'm sure that's aggravating for them. And uh so that's what enabled me to keep getting into newspapers because I was able to show, you know, my discipline and then, you know, the the quality of the work and and the success of the strip. So um, yeah, it worked out pretty well. Yeah, self syndication is a hard hard road to hoe, 
basically, and and uh, not too many people are doing it. I, I think I'm aware of maybe a couple of others. I think Dwayne Abel, who was a guest on the show over the summer, has done a little bit of that. But even still, it's 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 pretty pretty tricky, and you have to have the wherewithal to make the phone call and and get on the phone with an editor. Now, do you have editors that you're in contact with, specific editors at these papers? Have you? Uh, and when you call, do you ask for a specific editor? Yeah. So a lot of this is cold calling. So I'll talk to editors and I look on the websites or I'll see a newspaper in town and I'll grab it and see who the editor is. And I'll call the paper and sometimes they have their direct line or or uh, I'll just call the newspaper itself and, and ask for the person. And um, they don't answer their phones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, but I never hardly ever anyways um leave a message because uh, i know how busy editors are so i'll just keep trying them and eventually i get a hold of them and, and i do they uh you know well and we'll just talk some yeah. of them are very short with me and not very nice and some of them are happy to talk to you and happy to see your samples so so it's a matter of developing a, thi- uh, a thick skin a little bit, too, uh, I guess, not taking it personally, just knowing the editor has a lot to do, and that's just the nature of the job, and, and some of those folks are really just so overwhelmed, they don't have time to talk to you, and then others, maybe who have a more leisurely schedule, uh, are, are happy you know, to have something that's going to help fill the paper when they need it. Have you ever had any editorial criticism or has anybody ever come along and said, hey, you know, maybe if you did this or, or you know, this is, is something our readers aren't going to get into? Or have you ever had any any kind of reaction or response like that from an editor? No, you know, as a matter of fact, I've never even thought of that. And and no, it's funny you say that because, you know, and I, I speak at schools sometimes, it's important important that the strip stands on its own so when i when i send the strip out or when i talk to these editors i nine times out of ten i don't even tell them what the 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 title of the strip is (laughs) it's really strange i say i have a comic strip and sometimes i'll say you know sour grapes and that but um and I, i go right into uh, from I have a comic strip right into it's published in you know 28 newspapers, right into it, and that either lights them up or it doesn't. So the, the editor that says yeah, yeah um, send me some samples, um, I do, and I don't ever put a description of the strip. I said, here, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Here's some samples. Let me know if you're interested, period. So um, so to answer your question, I've never had an editor say to me, um, you know, we, uh, uh, can you can you do something that's more current in, you know, in an episode? Or can you do, um, you know, something like this? Um, and, and I'll always, you know, or if it's political and that, and I'll, I'll never, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't go into those areas anyways, but, um, you know, I've, I've never had that. It's, it's either we don't have the room or we only do something that's strictly local, no locally related to the local news, or we just don't do comics. It's, yeah. it's usually of those three things. Um, and the editors that I, that I do have, 
have never said to me, you know, we're doing an issue on this. Can you do something like this or, uh-huh. or whatever? I've I've never gotten that either. It's always just been, you know, we've we've got sour grapes in our newspaper. Yeah, they they don't. So you know, holidays come along and they don't ask you to do something holiday themed or anything like that. No, I usually throw that in of my of my own volition. You know, okay. uh, usually Halloween and usually Christmas. Right, right. It's a lot of joke with both of those. Sour Grapes is about specific characters. There's Aesop, and then there's other characters who, who are in the strip and recur over and over again. But uh, because it's printed once a month or once a week or something, you know, the audience isn't necessarily going to catch on. So the strip has to sort of stand alone like, uh, you know, uh, any single panel gag strip would or something like that without recurring characters. Right. It, it usually finds a home on its mm-hmm. own in, in the papers in that it builds it builds an audience on its own sometimes. The jokes are independent of the characters in a way. They deal primarily with situations that occur. Like, for example, the most current strip is about a painting, uh, a flower painting. Right. So yeah. uh, and, and the two characters, you know, there's a little gag there uh, because ominous is a cloud. And he reigns on top of the flower painting. And that, that you don't need any explanation. That's pretty clear what it is, even though, you know, Ominous is a recurring character. Great name, by the way. I love oh, that name. For, for, yeah, that's great. I, I really do. Uh, the, Ominous, the cloud, fantastic. It's, it's very uh, clever. So he reigns on the flower painting and, and, you know, that's there's the gag. And that's an independent joke, right? It doesn't need any connection to anything else. We don't need to know why the dog has a cape and why it's sort of floating two feet off the ground. (laughs) It's not about world building. It's about situations that are common to everyday life. Yeah. I I try and keep things simple and I I like to let the, the, the strip speak for itself in, in whatever's, you know, going on in, in that episode. Um, you know, in that, that particular one, it's actually one of my favorite ones, and I know I just drew it, but you know, Aesop. Uh, some of some of my secondary characters, uh, as I call them in the strip, appear every every now and then. And you know, Aesop has a pet cloud named Ominous, and it it was strange because I I have a dog and stuff, and I thought it might be interested interesting one day that Aesop had a had a pet, but I'm like, wait a minute, Aesop's a dog. But Aesop does absolutely nothing dog-like, and matter of fact, I refer to him as an individual, not a dog. But so I said, wouldn't it be cool if he had a a pet and wasn't a dog? And then I started thinking way out of the box, and I said, how about a cloud, rain cloud, a dark rain cloud, which is kind of a miserable thing in and of itself. So they kind of play off of each other. Well, that's kind of a a, a leap there from thinking about a dog for, I mean, I immediately think of Mr. Peabody and Sherman, right? Mr. Peabody, the origin of Mr. Peabody, Peabody adopts a boy and every dog should have a boy, blah, 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 you know, you know, there's that great idea, but you went way off (laughs) off base and, and instead of thinking of other animals or human beings or whatnot, the pet turns out to be a cloud. That's kind of a, a, an imaginative leap there. Well, I'm a, space cadet to begin with so <laughs> one day i just kind of went okay i think i'm gonna go this route it's funny because i really didn't have to think too hard about that one for some reason i had old strips where 
uh, a cloud would always, I didn't have a name back then, a cloud would always um, follow Aesop and, and then he would just kind of um, not be communicating with that cloud at all, not really a relationship. I just had these um, these episodes where you just run into a rain cloud and and uh, get rained on, kind of thing. And then and then it just kind of grew from there. I think about the uh, the character in Little Abner. I can't remember his name now. I don't know if you're familiar with it. He used to walk around with uh, a cloud over his head that was always raining. He was a character who was trying to get out from under a cloud, and he never could. Um, that was a long time ago, though. So, but uh, it, it's kind of this is different, you know, because Ominous is an actual thinking being. So, well, I was uh, I was um, inspired a little bit by um, Eeyore, um, uh-huh. who was so depressed, and he had that dark cloud over him and a, and a lot of um, illustrations of him and that. So I was I was inspired by that in that it was a kind of a part of the emotion that he was feeling, yeah. you know, so, so depressed and so, you know, so down that not only was it him, but it, just to make things worse, he's got this cloud over him and it's raining yeah. on him, you know. Yeah. So who are some of the other characters in Sour Grapes? Okay, so the next one down the line is Matty, M-A-D-D-Y. He's a, a not-so-bright astrophysicist, and... Um, not he, so bright. He's not so bright. No, he's not the brightest uh, bulb in the chandelier. And um, <laughs> he uh, um, he used to be an inventor, um, but uh, I kind of changed that. And I, I thought it might be more fun uh, for him to be uh, something that's supposed to be smart, but he's not. Um, but he tries his best. He can't find a girlfriend kind of guy, and nothing, nothing really goes right for him. But the the thing about Maddie is he uh, he never gives up, and uh, no matter uh, what happens to him, there's always there's always a way that he's going to uh, keep keep trying. So a lot of the gags that I have with Maddie is he has this online girlfriend and she doesn't think she's his girlfriend but they've never met uh, but he um, borderline stalks her and uh, just keeps trying to get her to go out with him and and finally meet one day and she's always turning him down and you know very softly um, you know uh, insulting him and and type of thing and you know leave me alone Um, and but the funny part is that she never, uh, there's never a hang up from her. She always answers and she's always in a conversation with him. So it's kind of one of these love hate relationships. Um, and, and so Maddie keeps trying and he doesn't give up. And even though she turns him down every time, um, he, he, he keeps trying. So I, I wanted him to have that, um, you know, even though he's not so bright in that, that there was there was something good about him, something that some kind of a strength that he would have. I, I, I try and do that with all my characters, you know, just to back up to Aesop. He's he's a miserable guy, just kind of resigned to the fact that he's he's got to put up with these experiences in life and with his with his friends and that. And But Aesop, on the other hand, is, is always a good listener and in his own smart 
smart mouth way, um, sarcastic way, will give them an answer. Maybe it's not the one that they were looking for, but it might be a, a truth to it that uh-huh. it's not what they want to hear, but it comes out that way. And, and so Aesop's always always there for these guys, no matter what. Um, even though it's uh, you know in a, in a sarcastic way that he's just annoyed with the whole thing, <laughs> he just wants to leave. Did you say uh, what the girl's name was that that Maddie is? The girl that Maddie's going for is Celeste. Celeste. Okay, and and that's kind of interesting. I like I I like the idea. Is she does she ever appear in the comic strip, or is she always just a, a voice on the computer? She's just a voice either on you know, text or on messenger or, or wherever he's talking to her. Um, she's, she's just a voice. She, we haven't seen her. Um, yeah. I, I kind of like that idea, you know, of, of one of, of sort of personifying digital communications in a voice, whether it's male or female, uh, just the idea that, that there's this individual personifying this technology and engaging with this other character. Uh, I th- it's kind of interesting. Uh, unrequited love in the 21st century uh, is kind of an update in a way of the little red-haired girl. Yeah, and, and I named her um, Celeste on a kind of a play on, play on words, you know, Maddie being an astrophysicist. So Celeste is short for celestial. Yeah. So tied those two things together, sort of, kind of. Yeah. Nice idea. That's a, that's a great idea. So, and then you were, you were good. So Constance is a different character. Then. Yes. Constance is Maddie's little sister. And uh, she's a 16 year old, um, thinks the world revolves around her. Always angry, typical teenager. You know, the, the slamming of the door, a teenager when, you know, going into her room or she's, you know, smart mouth or she's you know rude or um just just angry you sound like you have experience with that (laughs) well when my i have two daughters when they were younger i kind of went through that um (laughs) with the uh just on the couch and not wanting to do anything and no i don't want to do that and you know dad you know leave you know um leave me alone and, and then as they got older it just got into a your typical teenager kind of thing so um hiding under the blanket on the on the chair just leave me alone um yeah. the adults so. now uh they're both in college so well, they're congratulations probably for... hiding under their blankets in college <laughs> <laughs> but that's great you know it's it's great uh, raise, have successfully raised two two young daughters that's fantastic so but you do have that well of experience <laughs> to draw from yeah exactly she's easy to write for but kind of not <laughs> in, in the same way that it's hard to understand my daughters, especially when they were that age, so I just kind of try not to. <laughs> yeah, uh, so. yeah, just sort of from the outside rather than trying to get it. Yeah, trying to fathom that those you know complicated issues uh, at, at the that stage of development is is hard. Yeah, because there's a lot of stuff going on in a young person at that point. But um, so okay, so we have Constance, we have Maddie. We have Celeste, uh, we have Aesop and Ominous. Uh, who else is in there? Well, 
uh, one of the secondary characters is Slice. And I wanted to have a character that was just the opposite of what Sour Grapes was all about. It has nothing to do with Sour Grapes. And Slice is a bear, so he is a slice of life. He is um, annoyingly positive. He Everything's wonderful. There's You know, he's always happy, annoyingly happy, and uh, wants to give everybody a hug and just show how wonderful life is, like, all the time, no matter what, how bad something can get. And I know, I've known people, and I'm sure people know people that are really happy, but it gets really annoying sometimes, especially when you're in a bad mood. So it's like, it's not that great, just... You know, let me have my bad day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, but he's he's determined. He's he's a determined guy. He he's gonna show you why you know why that uh, why things are wonderful no matter what you know no matter what's going on. So he we need he, people like that in the world. Yeah, exactly. I, that's that's what I wanted to have. I wanted to have that that guy in there that's gonna show everybody's problems and in that that's happening in that episode um how they're not problems and how you can how you can turn them around that's that full kind of guy yeah and the other thing that happens sometimes is i i have snowmen characters in the strip that aesop um communicates with that's another one where i don't know where that came from but um those strips pop up every now and then and it, even in the summer I'll, I'll i'll have snowman episodes just because it makes me feel cool and <laughs> uh um, and and these these episodes is you know there's there's no speaking in there um unless maybe for the last panel when asap has some um sarcastic uh reaction to what's going on but um you know, it's 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 thought clouds, and uh, so you know they're talking to each other, but it's a communication. There's no, um, you know, no animation in the mouths from I, you know, either the snowman or, or or snow women's for that matter. Um, and uh, so and and those strips uh, are really straight jokes um, that I decided to just. Um, use those those strips as um and and it it's worked out so far right really well i i I really enjoyed doing those those uh those episodes and and they and they're in the it's not a separate thing they're they're in the world and they're um uh part of part of the sour grapes world and that so you know maybe someday else i'm gonna have them be involved with uh, the other characters but right now it's you know aesop's the one that can communicate with them and you know and there there are other uh, people that he helps in his own way and is annoyed with and just kind of will look at the i have a lot of look at the camera as i call it look at the audience and just kind of be like i always subject myself to this stuff and so on and so forth so there's a lot of breaking the fourth wall in uh in in sour grapes where the character addresses the audience right yeah i i i want to involve the reader as uh-huh. uh, as much as i can and a lot of the cartoons i used to uh, watch especially bugs bunny there was always an interaction with the audience because if you remember the bugs bunny cartoons you know back in the, what it was the 50s or the 60s those came out 
where people went to the uh, the theaters all the time, and that was what was playing before the main feature. And uh, so you look at the old, especially the old cartoons where you know they'll they'll look at the audience and they'll be talking to them and saying something and and whatever. So I I was um, influenced by that. Um, I watched used to watch and still watch Bugs Bunny a lot because there's a lot going on in there. So, oh, they're um, brilliant cartoons. Yeah, uh, Warner Brothers is. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to teach a history of animation course, uh, and we do spend a chunk of time with Warner Brothers when we we do that class. And um, I really, and and we spend a lot of time with them. I have to tell you, just out of personal taste, you know, I just I just love those Warner Brothers uh, Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies cartoons and uh, Chuck Jones and Bob Clampett and and Frizz Freeling, all of those guys. I just I love their stuff and uh, yeah. Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, hilarious. Just you know, I mean, I was just having this conversation with Rick Stramoski. We we were just talking about a little bit about animation because he's doing a little, and I'm doing a bunch of animation these days. And and uh, you know, in terms of the animation that affected us, we were talking about how Disney really was never our favorite thing, but. Uh, uh, Warner Brothers was definitely, you know, a big influence because the sense of humor was just, and Fleischer cartoons too, Popeye and all of those from the thirties. So there, there, there's just this love of the, of the medium and what the medium can do. And they seem to just revel in their nature as, as cartoons rather than imitating reality. And that, that's what you know, I really responded to, they just, they, they, you know, they were, they're unlike, like say Disney, who is always trying to push realism, you know, get closer and closer to nature, drawing classes to draw, you know, the deer for Bambi and, and all to great effect, wonderful effect. Uh, Warner brothers and Fleischer were all like, we're cartoons and we love it. you know. <laughs> and so they were always pushing the envelope and, and trying to do what anything that cartoons could do. You know, it's great stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's important to in, in involve the reader in that because it gets uh-huh. them even closer to you know, liking the strip. And I and I know I can't put my finger on any, any strips right, you know, that I can think of. But yeah, I've I've always been been drawn to that in in my own reading. When when you involve the reader, I, I like to um, leave the imagination up to the reader. I don't. If you notice in my strips, I don't hardly use any backgrounds. And if, yeah. if someone's talking about their car or whatever, I don't draw a car. I, I don't need to. I just said that they were in their car kind of thing. And so I want, you know, if I say I had one strip where Maddie was waiting, said he was waiting for a tow truck for, for a long time. And uh, I'll, I'll establish the fact that he's already talked to the, the company and stuff. So I, I really, I didn't need to draw a tow truck, and I didn't need to do this, and it wound up he was late because he got a flat tire, so that was <laughs> that was a joke, and um, and so um, I I I think it's important, and I and I'm influenced by that with peanuts because I, I saw a lot of that. Um, there wasn't a, a lot going on in the background, so you know I I wanted to leave it up to the reader to to fill in the blanks and to, and to fill in the background as it were on their own and um you know again um having the the reader uh, be involved in the strip i 
I really I really like that. What is the the title of the uh, the Chip Kid book about the art of Charles Schultz? Uh, Only what's necessary, right? And uh, I mean that is certainly a lesson that comes from Peanuts. The idea that uh, particularly it's really interesting in Schultz's work. You can actually see the the evolution of that idea he starts off by drawing fairly elaborate backgrounds in the 50s uh particularly in some of the sunday strips and as time goes on you know and he even draws like snoopy's house in three-quarter view that's always like my benchmark for you know acknowledging where peanuts really turns a corner is when snoopy's uh, doghouse goes from being a three-quarter view doghouse to a profile view doghouse and once it's a profile view uh, after a couple of years, it never goes back. And so, you know, he sort of whittles away at extraneous detail uh, over time, uh, in the end, resulting in this vocabulary that's really very streamlined and very minimal in a sense, uh, comparatively speaking, you know, to a lot of the strips that were around it, in the belief that the humor is better served by the idea of less is more in terms of the illustration. And I think that that's a great lesson to take from Peanuts, you know, is that idea. Yeah, I, 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 I like I said, I, I love that. You know, there might be a, you know, a Peanuts thing with, with, with a peanut strip with, you know, Snoopy on, on the um, honest dog house and then, and then, you know, um, uh, Woodstock comes flying by and does something crazy that kind of annoys um maybe annoys uh snoopy in that and in the last panel it, all of a sudden snoopy's looking at you um the reader and that's awesome because now now he's you know maybe saying can you believe this kind of look on his <laughs> face and, that and you know and then he, it's almost like you can agree or you can yeah. relate kind of thing and Aesop will will say something looking looking at the reader maybe but it's still you're you're involved you're you're part of your that's a good way to put it you're, you're part of the strip now you know you're yeah. you're in you're not just you're not just watching a movie you're you're involved so i i think that's a lot of fun so i i try and do that as often as i can i think one of the things that happens when you know snoopy addresses the uh, the reader or Bugs Bunny addresses the audience, or Aesop addresses the audience, is this idea we're all in on the joke, and we can all roll our eyes together at whatever Woodstock's doing, or, you know, whatever Ominous has said, or whatnot. You know, we're all part of that that scenario, and we all understand one another. So you become part of, you instantaneously, you know, create a relationship between the reader and the character and that certainly opens up the strip and makes it more welcoming right you know to a reader so uh you know that's a really good approach i think it's certainly something that i always enjoy in in comics in general whether it's in sour grapes or it's in peanuts so let's talk a little bit about your influences we we we're talking about charles schultz and peanuts and i'm sure there's more than than peanuts too but let's talk about peanuts a little bit you've got a lot of great characters and some of these characters uh when you identify slice as somebody being you know optimistic and then you talk about aesop as being somebody who's kind of more or less uh, miserable all the time that kind of parallel if you will you 
yin and yang, if you want to call it that way. It's kind of played out in Peanuts too, right? You know, we have characters who who are uh, well-defined in that way, who play off of one another in interesting ways, uh, whether it's Schroeder at the piano and Lucy going at it, or one of the two other characters are, are you know, Charlie, Charlie Brown and Peppermint Patty or whatnot. There's this balance between characters that's in Peanuts that's kind of interesting to see, you know, that's in some way reflected in your own work. Right. It's funny you say that. I've never I've never thought of that with the the parallels of the of the the opposites. It, it's almost like you know, opposites attract. I'm I'm a thousand percent nerd and my wife isn't, but for some reason we attract. So it works out <laughs> for some reason. So, um, you know, it it's important to to have I think those comparisons and 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 also those those relationships because for strange reason they they complement each other. I I yeah. think. And, well, yeah, it's like, you know, night and day, right? You, you've got to have, you, if you have too much of the one, you know, it, it just, there's no humor there. I mean, humor in a lot of ways comes out of conflict. And I think that's one of the things that's, you know, really evident when you analyze Charles Schultz's work and you go into Peanuts, you see that, yeah, conflict is, it, is the nature of humor there. And uh, the conflict, whether it's between Charlie Brown and Lucy and the football or or whatnot, uh, Snoopy and the Red Baron. It's there's there's humor in that, and that's part of everyday life. So, you know, it makes sense. Uh, I think what's wonderful about what Schultz did, and I can kind of see it playing out in what you're doing, is this balancing of characters against one another, and situations against one another, um, so that you know, out of that, you have these reliable this reliable basis upon which to build, you know, humor, jokes, gags every day, uh, and, and keep the, a wealth of material, you know, resurfacing because those are not conflicts that are easily, that are easily resolved, you know? So, uh, they are great fodder for a, a well that never runs dry, so to speak, you know? Right. Um, it's, so it's the gift that keeps on giving, you know, you, you yeah, have, exactly. Like you said, you have night and day, but they're both they're both part of the day, you know. Yeah. Well, it's just yeah. one's darker and one's lighter. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. So, talk a little bit about some of your influences. So, what are, what were some of your favorite comic strips? Oh, geez, I um, I I would gravitate, you know, growing up uh, to to Garfield, um into um Hagar the Horrible of course Peanuts and um I always I always gra- gravitated to the simple ones um as far as drawing goes so when I you know when I'd see Garfield I, was, I read Garfield a lot and that was okay. the first script that I went to in the newspaper I'm, I'm you know highly influenced by Schultz but Garfield was another one for some reason and um I would um you know, every Sunday we'd get the, the Sunday paper, which was about eight inches thick at the time. Sunday comics were wrapped around on the outside of the newspaper. Imagine that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I, I didn't have to search for them. I took them right out and put them on the floor. I got a box of Dunkin' Donut munchkins. Just went to town. I just would <laughs> get that, you know, start drawing Garfield like right away, right on the newspaper, right next to him, you know. 
in any space I could find or, you know, maybe even just a, a piece of paper. But, um, and, uh, you know, I, at the time, I, I didn't really pay attention to just because I was a kid and I really didn't pay attention. Well, I'm an adult. I don't pay attention to anything, too. But <laughs> I just read the comic and, and Garfield and Peanuts just really struck me. Why? Because they were major characters to me. You knew Garfield right away. You knew uh, Charlie Brown right away. You knew Snoopy right away. They and they were they were the ones that were you know specific characters to me. And 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 the same with Hagar. Hagar the horrible was um, and is still you know simply simply drawn and and fun to read. And um, you know a lot of the a lot of the gags are you know you you may have seen before and. And, and such with with Hagar, but um, it's it's okay because that's that's what that world is about, you know. So you may have you know a, a running gag every now and then of them, you know, storming the castle kind of thing with all their swords and shields and that, or 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 Hagar's wife is giving him a hard time about whatever and and that but and then garfield it was always him doing something with odie or annoying john and and or eating food or whacking a, a spider and that you know those, those attributes and then peanuts was in in another world in and of itself with with what was going on in there and so i i really was influenced by all of that and and some other ones that can't think of but but those those are the ones that that stuck out to me it was is you know being a kid looking at those i there was a lot of my imagination running wild with mm. these with these characters with charlie brown you had the movies the the, the christmas specials and that on top of reading that that strip well at the time that that's my age and so i was able to have that in the back of my mind as well as with peanuts so that that even got me more into into penis because i could actually hear the voices when i was reading the strip and you know more of the personalities because they were animated in in the in the cartoons and, and in the the movies that they that they were in you know and eventually garfield you, you started seeing um garfield and other other media greeting cards and posters and stuff like that and in a nutshell, the big ones for me are are Peanuts and, and Garfield. Those are the ones that I've that I've drawn the most. And, and and in drawing those characters, it helped me to understand them even more because now they've they've gone from being in my mind, in my imagination, into into my pencil, and, yeah. and uh, able to see them on my own in my own interpretation. So that's kind of deep, huh? <laughs> yeah. So, so I can see a lot of Garfield in Sour Grapes. That that is, uh, you know, now that you mention that, I think about that. I think, well, yeah, um, the simplicity of the backgrounds, the design of the characters, even the way the characters, the way the characters kind of interact. There's there's clearly a, a kind of direct line from Garfield to what you're doing, and and it's interesting uh, because it wasn't like something that jumped off the page at me when I looked at, at the comic strip and read it. But now that you mention it, it's definitely like the underpinning of Sour Grapes is, yeah, very much 
Garfield. There's there's a big chunk of that in there, and uh, that's pretty cool. Um, very interesting. Of course, you know Garfield. I think Jim Davis literally modeled Garfield on the idea of Snoopy. I mean, it was like, let's take Snoopy and turn it into a cat, and then play with the personality a little bit, and boom, you have Garfield. And and uh, and of course, by in the 1980s, and I'm assuming that's the period you're talking about when you were growing up. Garfield was ubiquitous. It was uh, everywhere. It was huge in the eighties. So. Yeah. No. no I, I remember. It. I remember Garfield from the seventies. Okay. Okay. So he looked completely different. Yeah. And, very uh, different. And as time went along, he just transformed, um, like a lot of cartoon uh, characters do. Um, over time, they'll they'll change, in that. But yeah, there's uh, that natural evolution. Yeah, exactly. You were reading primarily in the newspapers, it sounds like, not so much from collections. Right. Yeah, at the time, it was something that I look forward to every week. You know, I can't wait to get the newspaper and, and, and read the comics. Um, so you you weren't reading the daily so much. It was, it was the Sundays. Yeah, we didn't. The newspaper, you know, we would pick up after church. There's one stop to get the paper and another stop to get the donuts. <laughs> That's <laughs> yes. what I look forward to, you know. Yeah, I had the same kind of thing. My dad uh, was was a big, well, we would go to church pretty much through my high school years. And uh, even though my, my mom had stopped going, but dad would make sure that we had we went to church. Not that I was a happy churchgoer, I never was. But, but on the way, the great thing about that for me on the way home was we stopped at the pharmacy. And at the pharmacy, dad would pick up, he picked up three newspapers and there were comic books. So my pharmacy sold comic books and the newspapers, and I was always able to get a couple of comic books, uh, whether it was money I saved from my allowance or doing chores around the house or something, and we had the newspapers. So Sunday was a big comics day uh, for me. And so I, I kind of relate to, to that. It was a great, I really loved that. I miss that now, you know, because uh, the newspapers aren't the same anymore. You pick up the Sunday and it's really disappointing. What used to be a multi-page section, you know, it used to be a thick, nice, heavy section. I remember the New yeah. York Daily News had uh, Dondi on one page and Dick Tracy on the other, and it was filled with comics. And now it's just like two pages, you know, and it's, it's, it's so disappointing. But, uh, you know, that's a wonderful memory. And, uh, and so you read them in, and it's interesting. I think this is, this is instructive because reading the, the comics, whether it's on a weekly basis in the newspaper or uh, daily in the newspaper, that's, that's a distinct way of experiencing them as opposed to say, you know, going to the library and picking up collections of Garfield and reading them, them there, you know? Um, I mean, that's a different kind of experience reading them all at once versus, you know, reading them in installments. Yeah. I, um, I, like I said, there was something about it. I was going to say that I, I also had a paper route. So oh, wow. it was, okay. Uh, I, I can't remember. It was either I did the Saturday or Sunday papers in that. Um, and uh, so I was constantly surrounded by newspapers and, and the comic strips and that. And um, I I always used to, to save them um, and cut them out. You know, like we talked before, I would cut out some that I really liked and put them up and, you know, wherever. And, um, you know, and the rest of the newspaper would just kind of, you know, Back then we had a we had a fireplace and we used to roll up the newspapers 
and use them as logs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you had a, a newspaper route, too. So you were, no wonder, you know, for you, getting sour grapes in newspapers is very important uh, because that's that's a deep connection there. In your experience at comics, your experience growing up and what you loved about the newspapers, all of it's tied together. So it makes a lot of sense that that would be your emphasis uh, for sour grapes now is is being in print in a newspaper. You know, um, so when was it that you decided that you wanted to be a cartoonist? You know, I used to draw on the newspapers and stuff. I was always drawing, doodling, you know, notebook doodling or 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 whatever, just sitting at the table and, and doodling and that. And it, it was always um, it was never a, um, a landscape. It was never um, um, just something generic and stuff. It was always the character no matter what i was drawing whether it was snoopy or whether it was garfield or or whatever and you know i'd start drawing scenes and and i would maybe draw myself or you know some friends in that playing kickball and but i would always give them their own identities their own you know quirks and that and my parents would always you know be like hey you know you you know you're pretty good and and that and and uh so i just i just kept going and in my childhood and then you know finally into uh um high school um we had a, a high school newspaper i was a freshman i just all of a sudden said no oh, how about can i do a comic strip for this and so i did and uh that was fun you know and it, it wound up in every newspaper and it you know teacher liked it and I'm not sure about the whole class but um <laughs> and um uh, but it, it worked out, and so I, I did that. And then ever since I, I did that, it, the name of that comic strip, by the way, was Beasley the Bee. I, I drew a bee because it was easier to draw. He just went through, you know, different quirky episodes and that didn't really have too much involved in it. So, um, and just time went on, and I was in uh, art class uh, all four years in high school, and uh, I went to art school, and I... I always had the the cartooning in the background, and you know, you go to art school, and now you, now you're drawing some the serious stuff. You you're painting the gourds, you're you're drawing the 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 figures, and and feeling uncomfortable in that class, and uh, and and so on and so forth. And then, but I always had the cartooning in the background, and um, finally, you know, just wanted I just wanted to stay with that, just because because of what I grew up with. I didn't see myself as a caricature artist. I didn't see myself as a painter. I didn't, you know, um, I didn't even draw. Um, I, every now and then I try and tackle a, you know, a, a Spider-Man, a, a realistic, you know, anatomically correct uh, drawing in that. But um, cartooning was, was easier for me because it was it was out of the norm. You know, you, you would draw a, a cartoon character um, and it wasn't anatomically correct. It was, it was, it was thinking out of the box. That's that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to just do something different. I, you know, like doing doing things differently, anyways. So, um, so that's that's that was the the kindling wood, as it were, to get me springboarding into into um, drawing comic strips and cartooning and that. So. Um, I, Where did you go to art school? 
I, I wanted to, I wasn't, I shouldn't say art school. I, I was an art major. Um, okay. Uh-huh. At, at a college and, and, um, um, in Rhode Island. And I was, it was in Massachusetts. Um, I was there for a while and I, um, I had a bad thing happen to my friend and, uh, uh, kind of left me in a, in a bad, uh, bad way. So didn't do so well, um, in my last, uh, semester there. So I ended up transferring out and, and, uh, took some time off and then went into community college, um, here in Rhode Island and took the extended two year plan and extended it to 17 years on my own paying for it in that and uh living on my own and and uh finally graduating with a, a degree in art and um always having that cartooning um sure. going on so that's that's that uh that's that history <laughs> yeah so so well you know that's something to be admired though tim uh you know the wherewithal and the tenacity because uh, adults going back to school, it's a hard thing. And I've known a lot of, as, a, as an instructor over the years, I've known a lot of folks who've come back to school. And I know how hard that can be, whether you're raising a family uh, and, and going to classes at night and paying for them yourself. Uh, you know, all of that's difficult stuff. And it takes a lot of, uh, a lot of discipline and a lot of um, will and drive to do that. So uh, right. I applaud that, you know, it's, well, that, it's thank you. Thing. My, my oldest daughter is, uh, uh, was born. I, I graduated in 2001. So my oldest daughter was born in, in 1999 and I was still going to school. I was, I was working in second shift and I was going to school during the day. And I, at the time, my next daughter was born in 2001. I was um, had two kids in diapers that I would take care of during the day too. So I was I was busy and I yeah. still, Juggling still got it done somehow. Yeah, well that's great. So so you graduated with a degree in art, and I'm uh, so have you? I mean, obviously that that helps with the comic strip, but comic strips don't necessarily pay all the bills and. And so have you, you gone out and you're doing other kinds of work to help supplement your income? Yeah, I, I work full time as well. I have, I have another job, you know, that's, um, paying for the kids in college and everything else. What, and, what's uh, the job? I mean, it doesn't, you know, but I'm, I'm just curious, what's the other job? Oh, I work for a, a small machine shop Uh huh. and it's, you know, two minutes down the road from where I live and. Um, you, it's wonderful. You, they they support what I do, and I'm able to. Um, I speak at a lot of schools and, and teach at schools, and and that, so I'm able to do that. And um, I do comic cons and that, and I'm able to do that on the on the weekends. Some you know sometimes work on a Saturday, so um, you know so it it works flexibility. out. Yeah. So yeah. it sounds like you've got a you've got a good relationship. How long have you been there? Uh, five years at this one. Uh-huh. Okay. So, and it's something, so when you say you work in a machine shop, do you, you fabricate machines or you exactly what's the nature? I'm just curious because I, I think it's important, you know, um, there's this idea, I, I think more and more cartoonists support 
their habit, you know, and themselves with work outside of, of just selling comics. I mean, because I think it's become increasingly difficult in order to, you know, for a lot of folks who are doing cartooning to make a living solely just through their comics, uh, you know, print publication, uh, that pays, you know, a, a living wage, if you will, those kinds of things have all, I think sort of shrunk in the number. There are still plenty of them, but it's, it's still, I think it's, it's less than it used to be. And, uh, so a lot of folks have to supplement their income with work elsewhere and, uh, you know, whatever that might be. So you work in the machine shop and as I said, do you fabricate or you, what exactly do you The machines, it's, uh, they make parts, uh, for aerospace, medical stuff like that, and I'm the inspector. I, I, uh, I make sure things are made right. <laughs> your qual- your <laughs> and, quality uh, control, in a way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's good. I, you know, it's, you know, it's got nothing to do with art, but at the same point, part of the job, I'm, I'm sitting down a lot, and I'm thinking about the next strip. And I'm writing it sure. in my head or whatever. I utilize, I drive my wife crazy because it's all I talk about. <laughs> me too. You know? Yeah, me too. Can't she gets tired hearing it, you know. Sorry, honey. Yeah, I you know. know. It's the same. And I know it's not interesting to people who aren't in that headspace. You know, if you're not in the midst of creating this stuff, I mean, it's it's in some ways it feels like life and death to us because, you know, the characters are are alive in our heads and then all of our self-esteem is connected with it because it's what we grew up you know wanting to do and idolizing stuff but you know real life intrudes but uh you know i think i've i've interviewed people who are very successful as cartoonists and then uh you know people who like yourself and myself really have have had to supplement their cartooning their cartooning is not where they make the bulk of their living you know because uh just things didn't work out one way or the other and uh i think part of success as a cartoonist not only talent and and the will and the drive and the stick-to-itiveness but it's also timing being in the right place at the right time with the right property it's also meeting the right people at the right time and and it doesn't always pan out and and i think it's important for the audience to hear that uh other cartoonists to hear that uh, because i know that's true for so many people who are very good cartoonists but still whether they have to supplement their income through doing illustration work which is great if you can find that or design work or they supplement it with some other form of uh of employment and uh you know when you talk about working in a machine shop well i worked in a factory for three or four years when i was younger and before I, you know, and becoming my whole career to becoming a university professor, I've often said this was not an easy one and it wasn't a straight line. It was a lot of here and there turns this way and that way along the way. It wasn't straight and it wasn't easy. You know, there are periods of times when, when we weren't making a lot of money. Uh, there was a period of time when, uh, in the early days when I did, I worked in the factory for three or four years and, uh, and it was a great, job for what it was, you know, uh, at the time. I mean, it helped me get through and pay for college and all of those kinds of things. Um, and it was an interesting experience in and of itself. Wasn't easy work, uh, though, you know, it's a, it's a hard job. 
it's just a reality, I think. And I think it's a reality that I think would be of interest. There are people like yourself and myself and others who continue to work and endeavor in large part for the love of what they're doing, um, the belief in what they're doing. But, you know, for whatever reason, find themselves uh, also carving a different path, if you will, you know, than than the standard one. So I have to, you know, I, I mean, it's difficult to do all of those things and I applaud that. So, uh, you know, I think it's kind of cool that you have this job that gives you the flexibility and the understanding and there are people who understand what you do. Uh, and also you've got this great experience to draw on and put into the comic strip as well. Sure. I, um, like I was saying, touching on before I, I, I do some freelance work. I do visit schools and mm -hmm. libraries and sure. put on, uh, give workshops, um, after school enrichment programs with cartooning and stuff. Cause a lot of, a lot of schools don't have anything. They have an art class, but they don't talk about or do anything with cartooning. Um, oh, right. You know, not very much that I've seen it been in a couple of schools that have had me in because they're doing a character building thing which i was like wow that's awesome so yeah of course i'll come in and and talk and demonstrate in that and um the kids love it they really do and so sure. i i that's important so I'm, I'm i'm very happy to um you know to do that i'm, I'm constantly you know talking to people i want to i want to i've learned a lot from people as a matter of fact um quite a few of the people that you've interviewed I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting and I've, I've spent some time with Rick as well we've, we've done a couple of um, some some shows at the um, together at the NCS booth and and so um, you know Rick is just a wealth of information I, I just sit back and I just listen he, he's wonderful um, Rick if you're listening hi and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Rick we, and, we had a great conversation Rick yeah. and I Last I, I can't wait for part two. Yeah, Rick is is great, and he was he was great on the show, uh, because you know he is a wealth of information. He's had a great career and an interesting career. Uh, another guy, very much self taught and pulled himself up by his bootstraps, if you will. And uh, you know, a lot of cartoonists do that, and uh, you know, have I mean, because it's a it is difficult to navigate the professional world, uh, cartooning world, because there, I mean, there's a lot of books now, but when you or I were growing up, there wasn't a lot of direction. It was kind of a mystery as to how you, you know, navigate that, that world. And, uh, it, so I, I admire people who can, who've been able to do that, but I also admire people who continue to devote themselves to this medium even when they are juggling a lot of different hats and have to work as, a, as you know raise a family uh, but also uh, have to support themselves in whatever way they they have found available along the way uh, as cartoonists and as human beings it's it's not an easy road and so more and more, too, some really great cartoonists like yourself and others support themselves differently in different ways. So, but uh, so you're also a member of the National Cartoonist Society, and that's something that you proudly display on your website. So, how did that happen? How did that come about? Well, it was uh, Rhode Island Comic Con, um, and I do that every year. 
and um, uh, in 2017, I uh, was lucky enough. One of the one of the members uh, came over to see me, and uh, didn't realize they were going to be there, and actually, to my surprise, invited me to be on a panel. He's met me through the uh, um, New England chapter. We'll have parties or get-togethers every now and then, so got to know him through that, and uh, so he knew me and was supported me and and you know liked what i was doing and liked the strip and that so you know would you like to um come up to do a panel and uh i was like really and uh, i said yeah he's like, yeah come on so you know not being a member and i was like really excited and you know here i am with um ed steckley and joe staten um up on a panel and um you know i i'm just like you know really <laughs> excited about it and here i am taking questions <laughs> yeah you know hey i'm sitting next to the guy that's been with marvel and dc for 40 years and draws dick tracy and who, who else knows yeah. it's been in the business for a long time and i'm taking questions and that and uh so that was a lot of fun and we went downstairs and um you know i, I posed my my interest in becoming a member not thinking i had a chance in hell i had some you know some help uh and steering in the right direction and some big support from everybody knowing uh you know being you know telling me that you know you you've got some great success and some great determination and um and and you you live in the dream as it were and that's that's the essence of what the the um national cartoon society is about and, and um you know try it out you know we'll um i got some um recommendation letters and finally sent them in and sure enough a unanimous decision and uh, i got in and that was that was a huge um hurdle for me in my career um that i sure. that i that i got that and you know i've been a member for a couple of years now and you know recently um i'm trying entered for uh, the comic strip panel for the Rubin Awards and for the first time. So um, um, see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, sure. Hey, you got to try, shot. right? Yeah, you, you can't win if you don't play, right? And, yeah, exactly. Um, so it, it's been a great experience. I've, I've met uh, some some great people. I've been able to um, – it's, it's I'm able to harvest – just information i'm always learning i always want to from from professionals you know like rick and and ed and and just people that i've met i, I make sure i at least contact them in some way and keep in touch in some way and they've all been just so nice in in their um in their support and just learn so much and I'm, I, they're always open to me asking questions and and that and um you know and in turn i can use that information for people that are are just starting out. Uh, a lot of these people I meet at Comic Cons and will be asking me questions, and I've just I've gotten to the point where, geez, I have some knowledge, <laughs> and I can help these people out. So it's 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 you know it's it's a great experience for me, and, I, and I'm really proud to to be a part of it. So um, you know, some somebody wanted somebody upstairs was was looking out for me and. And uh, and seeing uh, my potential in, in that, so uh, yeah, I, it's it's a great thing. 
Yeah, congratulations, and it is quite a feather in your cap. It's not, it's not an easy thing necessarily to get into the National Cartoonist Society. It is kind of complicated. I know I've always been sort of deterred from trying just because I look at the requirements and I'm like, oh, geez, I don't think I, I fit the, the bill. But um, I think it's, it's kind of uh, worth um, exploring because I know, uh, and, and for others out there listening, because I think they're looking for new members and there are some benefits to becoming a member if, if you fit the requirements. So, uh, you know, that's great. Congratulations. And I I think it's wonderful that that you're out there representing them and, and a part of it too. So you do get some benefits from that. So one of the things I wanted to touch on also is you've had some health issues in the last couple of years, haven't you? Yeah. Um, and you've overcome six, those, which is pretty pretty cool. Six months ago, I had a heart attack, and um, it was a big one. I mean, I'm all 53. I'll be 54 in a couple weeks. Oh, man. And I'm so I'm young. I'm actually six years old and inside, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a big one. I, I had a... Um, what they... Now finding out it's got a nickname. It's called the Widowmaker. Oh um, my lord! It's a hundred percent blockage um, oh, in an artery. So it's the sink that finally nothing's getting down, nothing's draining, and it's just completely clogged. And uh, one night we was sitting in the living room, and girls are in their rooms, and my wife's sitting in a chair across from me, and I start having pain in my chest. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, this is gas. I had a meatball sandwich, you know, two hours before. And I'm like, okay. And it's getting worse. And then all of a sudden, uh, 5,000 elephants sit on my chest. And um, I get up, start walking around. Maybe this will help. And um, to no avail. And I sit down. And then all of a sudden, my arm goes numb. My left arm tingling in my fingers and that. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And, and then I feel a warm warmness in my throat, and um, I'm telling my wife, I said, I don't, I don't know what's going on. And my wife would be the first person to tell you I'm a hypochondriac. And uh, so she's looking at me, she says, do you want me to drive you to the hospital? And I'm like, no. And I said, you know, I'm like, so she's, you know, let me rub your back, because now my back's hurting, so she got the elbow to my shoulder blade and that and then it's getting worse and then all of a sudden I start to sweat on my left side like like someone just turned on the faucet and uh that's when I picked up the phone and I called 911 and um lucky enough for me the fire department's literally across the street from my house and um so they were there you know not even five minutes and that's what saved my life because with one of those heart attacks it's uh the longer you wait, the worse it gets because your heart's fighting for oxygen. Oh, man. And uh, so they got me in the in the ambulance, and um, my wife hops in the front seat, and uh, they immediately give me a couple of aspirin. And uh, they're on the phone with the hospital, and they hook me up to the machine and taking the readings, and they can send that. Um, Technology is wonderful nowadays. They're able to send that to the hospital and uh we got from my house to the hospital in like 15 minutes going you know the space ball ludicrous speed and um 
and we get there and there's a whole team just waiting for me they knew i was coming they're all standing there like a pit crew waiting for the car to come in you know the next thing i know i've got uh people sticking me and people uh cutting my shirt open and this other one's you know putting the pads on me this other one's doing this asking me questions and i got like a swarm of bees around me and Next thing I know, I'm in the operating room, passed out. And next thing I know, I'm in the recovery room. And, uh, you know, but being the nerd that I am, I, I kept asking for my, my friend Ray, that's a cardiologist PA there. <laughs> I, I saw him, and it's like he's finally there. He's you know, my wife and kids. Are there. Of course, I've known him since high school. He's one of my best friends. And, um, you know, going down the hallway to go into my in, into my room and stuff, and I'm like, oh, not how you, do, you know, not you know how I'm feeling, and you know, me saying this, not you know, how do I feel and what's going on and stuff. But we were talking about the Infinity Gauntlet <laughs> and, and Infinity War, and oh, did you see the scene? Did you see that scene? It just, that, that was what was important to me at the time. Yeah. I didn't care about that part. And uh, yeah, you didn't care. So, worried about your yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's important things in the world. And um, and so, um, and oh, by the way, this is, with my comic strip, this is how dedicated I am. I, um, in the time it took them to get from the fire station to my house, I had a deadline. So I grabbed oh. my, as I'm thriving and throbbing in pain, I grabbed my laptop. And I didn't care what I typed as long as it went to the right guys. <laughs> I sent my strip out to like three or four papers. This is how dedicated a cartoonist you are. You're having a heart attack and you're sending your strip. Oh, my Lord. Sending your strip to the newspapers to make sure it gets in on time. I was oh. like, I am not ha- having this hanging over my head. I got enough problems right now. I'm not going to go into the hospital <laughs> like, God, you know, are they going <laughs> to accept this as an excuse? You know? <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I know those those editors can be pretty tough. <laughs> I can just hear it now. I don't know, buddy. You know, yeah, try again. Count. Yeah. You can't call in sick with us, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh. So the so this was several. It was you said six months ago, something six, like that. It was in June. Yeah, the middle of June. So, yeah. So what's the recovery uh, period like, and and you know, what are you doing now to make sure this doesn't happen again? Well, you go, I was out of work for, I don't know, a month and a half, and, and I finally decided to go back and, you know, taking things easy and and that. And you go to cardiac, cardio rehab, which is basically uh, planning fitness on steroids with a heart monitor. And so I did that for a while. Um, and you, you exercise with the heart monitor on, and they're taking your blood pressure, and they're watching you very closely, and you're on the treadmill, you're on the bike uh, kind of thing. And there's, there were also classes I could take, uh, nutrition classes. They had, you could see a nutritionist there. Um, you could have a, a counselor to talk to if you're having trouble with that, which is part of it. So I did that for a while, and then... I got better and it's expensive. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, it, and by the way, I'm in this place and I'm like the youngest guy there. Everybody yeah. here's on Medicare. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, sure. Uh, which was fun. And, uh, so then I go into something called maintenance, which is, you know, you're, you're doing, you're doing better and you're, 
you know, um, getting stronger. And so we'll put you on maintenance for a while. And I did that. And then I finally got to the point where, you know, a couple months later, I could just, uh, my cardiologist said I could do Planet Fitness, which is a hell of a lot cheaper. Um, uh-huh. So I'm doing that. And, uh, you know, Planet Fitness is right up the road. So that's easy. And so I do that. And, um, you know, three or four times a week and get my heart rate up and, you know, not I've lost a lot of weight. Just saw my regular, I got a, um, a new primary care and looked at the blood work and I'm doing like much, much better um, cholesterol wise and, and that. And uh, um, so uh, it's been a, it's been a journey, you know, it's been a yeah. um, little bit of an eye opener. Um, yeah. With a more appreciation for for life in that and and sure. the, the little you know, thing makes me want to just do things and especially you know with my strip you know we got I got a second chance with this so I uh, um, I remember being on the table in the hospital with the surgeon there and he says now Timothy because they always call you by your your proper name uh-huh. and. For some reason, they yell. Uh, so, <laughs> can you hear me, Mr. Jones? Yeah, is it, the older you get, the more people are going to do that to you. You know, <laughs> they're yeah, going to yell. I, I've never understood it. You know, it's not my ears, buddy. It's my heart. But anyways, <laughs> and um, so he's like, you know, we're going to catheterize you. And, you know, by the way, they're going through your wrists now. They don't go in through your groin, thank God. And um, okay. And so, you know... Um, and I looked at him and I said, uh, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I've got things to do. I've, I've got, and I looked at him and I said, I've got deadlines. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get this over with, you know? Um, and <laughs> yeah, I'm I gotta like, get back to the drawing table. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, I, and the, a funny story too, the next morning, you know, I'm, I'm Catholic and the priest comes in and, you know, he's standing there and he's got his Bible. He's got his little box of stuff. And uh, he looks at me and he says, I, he introduces himself and, and that. And he says, you know, we'd like to offer you your last rites. Oh, dear Lord. And Are you I'm, kidding me? Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, and I'm trying to look at him and I'm trying to see if he's kidding around. And I, and I, I went, huh? And he says... Well, we always, we also call it the anointing of the sick. And oh. I said, well, you could have led with, with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, uh, yeah, right. Oh, my gosh. Talk about, oh, my gosh. Uh, but but I said to him, I'm, I'm still processing this. And so. Yeah. I, I, I said, don't, don't rush me, buddy. You know, right. I, I'm exactly. not ready. I, I, being the comedian that I am, I, I, uh, I, Said to him, "You want to give me the last right?" Says, "Can you go on the other side of the bed and give me my last lefts?" You know. <laughs> there you go. I mean, instead, yeah. oh my gosh. You know? That's that's what I told him. I, I said, you know, I'm still processing this and and that. So you know, this that was a that was a quirky story. So fast you know, forward fun. back where I am, I'm I'm feeling much better and you know lost weight and uh, been able to keep it off and uh, change my diet. And, um, you know, moving along at the right speed. Yeah. Yeah. You can 
you know, it's it's scary. Is there a history of heart disease in your family? I think in my my father's side, come to find out, but not not my immediate family. I see. Were so I'm had, kind of the first you had guy. I mean, it's like, like uh, I'm assuming because you're you're relatively young, you weren't going to the doctor on a regular basis, and and you didn't. You know, nobody discovered this blockage because you weren't getting. EKGs and all that kind of thing beforehand, you were just, you know, carrying on life and, and pretending whatever it wasn't there. Well, it was funny, too, because in retrospect, I wasn't feeling that great before June. And I just kind of figured, well, you know, I, I actually um, joined Planet Fitness in, in the winter before June. And I think I went three times because I just didn't yeah. feel good after I was done. I really uh-huh. so and so in retrospect, this is probably why. Um, yeah, sure. sure. Cranky. I was, you know, just not feeling great and easily tired in that. And and uh, you know, it's funny because when I saw my my doctor uh, last week, I said, you know, what what caused this? And I said, I know it's you know cholesterol, and it's but you know the cholesterol wasn't horrible. It, it, mm-hmm. it didn't help, but, um, and he says, no, it's, it's genetics. Yeah. You know, there's some people that he said that just don't produce good cholesterol. Yeah. And, uh, so, but I'm better. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you live to cartoon another day. That's right. right. And, uh, it's true. You know, it, I mean, it's something that we roll our eyes at when we're 30, but you know, we get to our age and after an experience like you've had, you just kind of say, Hey man, every, every day is a gift and I got to live it to its fullest and enjoy it because it's a, it is, it's a gift. And, uh, you know, let's just do what we need to do and, and, uh, not take it for granted because it's easy to take it for granted. So, uh, well, I'm glad you're still with us, Tim. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm glad you, you, you've uh, overcome that experience and you just take care of yourself now, you know, make sure you eat right and keep up the exercise. And, and you're, you'll, you know, it's great that you, you talk to us about it because anybody out there experiences similar symptoms, hey, call the ambulance right away, you know, and uh, be aware of that. I lost my dad to a heart attack. Um, you know, he had, he had heart disease problems and... Um, yeah. And I lost uh, one of my best friends uh, in my life um, at the age of 53 uh, from a heart attack. And uh, it's it's serious stuff, and you got to be aware of it, and you got to take care of yourself, especially as, you know, we start to get older. And, and we like to think 50 and 60 is not that old, and it's not. But in terms of the body, you know, things start happening, and you have to be wary and uh, and take care of yourself and go to the doctor. You know, it sounds... Yeah, I mean, there are people that are, like, fit as a fiddle, yeah. and they still get heart attacks. Sure. So it's, yep. it, you never know. You know, you don't. You don't know. And uh, so, yeah, it's important stuff. And um, I'm just glad you, you're you're okay and you're doing well. Well, thank you very much. I well, uh, actually had a few um, episodes, meaning my strip, not episodes with me. And uh, um, that, because, um, you know, Sour Grapes is actually an extension of of me. Of right. My, my life experiences, so... Of course, um, you know, this type of thing is happening in the strip in, in, some, in some way. So 
Yeah, it'll be reflected there. Sure, of course, because that's that's your art, right? So uh, that's yeah. where it's going to come out. So, Tim, it's been uh, really nice. It's just gone by in a flash. And, uh, you know, I wish you continued success with Sour Grapes and, and your health. And, uh, you know, you've got a bunch of shows coming up this year so people can see you at, at uh, different conventions uh, in Rhode Island and New England primarily, right? Yeah, um, if you go on my website, um, sourgrapescomic.com, uh, you okay. can see I post where I'm going to be and um, everything else about me and, and the strip itself and the newspapers and I even have um, uh, interviews on there. This will be on there once I once oh, I get hey, it. Oh, hey, great. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. All righty. Well, I thank you for being on the show. and It's been a lot of fun, and uh, it's been really great to you know talk to you and get to know you. So uh, thanks again, and um, uh, we'll catch up with you again sometime in the future. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Jeff. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm, I'm humbled. Oh, no reason to be humbled, man. Uh, absolutely. You deserve it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Tim Jones. Man, wasn't that a story about his heart attack? It really does put everything in perspective, doesn't it? When uh, an event like that strikes, you really see and, and come out of it, uh, I think, acknowledging and cherishing the things in life that, that really matter. I really admire Tim for his attitude and for his ability to persevere and overcome and and face it all with a great sense of humor, uh, which, you know, a lot of us wouldn't do, but boy, he certainly, certainly has. You've got to hand it to him, uh, you know, working on the comic strip while he's there in the hospital bed, making sure he doesn't miss a deadline. That is something. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many of us would be that dedicated. And uh, so to hats off to Tim. Make sure you check out Tim's work at SourGrapesComic.com, okay? You can also find Tim on Instagram at SourGrapes2017. So uh, look for him there. And I'm sure he's on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook very often, so uh, look for him there. Well, I guess that'll do it for this time. Next time, we've got Brian Gordon of Foul Language, which is a big hit online and on Instagram and Facebook and everywhere else, and in print, too, as Brian's got two or three books out now. So uh, be sure to come back for that one. It should be out really soon, a couple of weeks, so be looking for that, okay? As always, I appreciate your visit. Thanks for allowing me to bend your ear and... Thanks for listening.